How's it going, guys? Welcome to uh, podcast episode three. We're super excited to do this. We got a few friends joining us on this episode, but I wanted to give you guys a little quick message from us before we get right into it. Um, we have a bunch of new stuff launching. We've talked about this in previous podcast episodes, but check out the description. Stay updated. We'll put some stuff down there. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy. We're going to really cool topics during this podcast, so enjoy. How you guys doing? Excellent. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Doing well. Finish the holiday weekend up well. Yeah. New Year's day today. So, you know, never stop the grinding. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> never could. Never will. Um, what about you? <laughs> Didn't answer the question. <laughs> great, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a few questions for you guys, but I guess first I'll let you guys both introduce yourself. Connor, you can go ahead and start just to give a background on who you are. Okay. I don't know how deep you're looking for here. As deep um, as you want. I mean, so my name is Connor. I am 20. I'm a sophomore in college studying finance. Although, with the way my credits are working out, I'll probably be done, or I will be done end of next summer. So, nice. kind of now in between sophomore and junior year, I guess, is one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the broad overview. Nice. Oldest of four, this clown. <laughs> Brothers. My brother in uh, next in line. Enjoy <laughs> sports, board games, card games, video games, reading. Try to stay balanced, stay diverse with the things I'm interested in. So yeah, for sure. Sure. And Garrett, you? Hi, my name is Garrett. I'm 18 years old. I am a senior in high school, being homeschooled. And yeah, I play basketball, play the piano here and there. Um, plan is to go to college next year i don't know what i'm going to study yet but I'm getting there yeah yeah i've know. got some time that's how it is so i've been told yeah i mean oh, shoot oh. i don't even know what i'm doing I think you, yeah you have time until until you don't till the uh, <laughs> week before <laughs> yeah that's fair so you have yeah. to declare the major right yeah. and even then you can you know yeah, I guess mess you around with it and even it. change it while i'm there that's so. true that's true yeah okay so um i guess to jump right into it so each you guys have both been homeschooled um, and I think to a lot of people, homeschooling is like an enigma. They don't really understand it or they have misconceptions about what homeschooling actually is. Um, so I guess, what has your experience with homeschool been? And then maybe how has it impacted you in like social situations and just throughout your life? What are some of the good parts about it that you enjoyed and what are some of the maybe lowlights of homeschooling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I'll go ahead and start. Um, homeschooling has definitely opened my view on just education in general Mm -hmm. um i think the curriculum that we do is really fantastic it's called classical conversations um i think being homeschooled i now get to see how i would like my kids to be educated when i'm older um, and just the integrity of what homeschooling can be um so the way that it works is that we meet one day a week um at a church and then they gave us the um, homework that we do and then we go home and do the work the rest of the week um, yeah I mean situationally or socially I should say um, it's it's a bit more difficult than maybe if you were to go to public school you know you have that social interaction every day um, being homeschooled the only social interaction you have is your family um, and whoever's there um, so I think that's probably the down the downside of it is just that social interaction you know homeschoolers are pushed um, when they go into those social uh, situations yeah um, for sure you did get social interactions though right like it wasn't like you 
I mean, you said you, you go yes. to a church. There were people there. Like you had like-minded Correct. people you could interact with. Right, like yeah. Not all homeschooling is just you in your bedroom doing school right. with a few pieces of paper. So yeah, there's definitely more social interaction I think most people think. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you, you play basketball and things like that. So, I mean, it's not just that co-op. That I mean, you obviously have church, basketball, any extracurricular you do is going to give you extra social interaction. Right. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to push yourself to do that though. Especially if you don't have like... like proactive parents if they're not i think it really just depends on the personality like i meet a lot of homeschoolers that are like every chance they get they're in front of people they're always Mm -hmm. wanting to talk always wanting to be around people that aren't their family um you know just like because yeah they're just extroverted Mm -hmm. right but you see that in public school a lot of introverts will be forced to go to school every day but they'll have their head down they'll be just as socially awkward as as a lot of homeschoolers that i've met so yeah and then you've been out of uh, high school for a little while. You're now at college, so maybe looking back, like retroactively, what do you, what were your thoughts on it? Experiences, maybe some ways that it helped you, and maybe it hurt you after you've gone out further. Yeah. So certainly the benefit was the transition from high school to college. Um, I don't want to say felt easy, but it was very smooth. It was just like okay. the workload was about the same. The level of rigorousness of the content itself was about the same obviously there's some differences between education but that's just you're going to get that from really any high school into college for the most part yeah um so i felt very prepared in that sense and honestly i don't really have many areas where i would say it was a hindrance it really comes down to the parents and here's what i found um it's not necessarily because like Gabe was talking about, you'll have people at public school who are more introverted, more extroverted. And it, it it's really, I feel like the content or the types of things that the kids are exposed to and talk about. So I think, yeah. you know, people think as homeschoolers is socially awkward and they, maybe there are a higher percentage that would be could technically considered that. Yeah. But I think it's more the stuff they talk about. Uh, if I could put it this way, maybe homeschoolers generally speaking there's more wholesome conversation going on that maybe would be considered immature in some mm-hmm. public school circles i know yeah. i don't want to generalize too much but maybe just innocent like innocent yeah yeah we could yeah, consider, yeah. yeah maybe yeah. considered more innocent and for better or worse but um i feel like through just talking to people sports interacting with you know work if mm-hmm. you have a job, mm-hmm. it matters a lot. Movies, TV shows. I'm not saying you got to go to the extreme, but being exposed to some of that stuff and actually having discussions about it yeah. is important. And yes. I feel like where some homeschoolers are hindered in that way, I really wasn't. Yeah. So I mean, you are, in a large way, just a, a product of your environment. So if you're exposing yourself to very limited amount of things, like I don't know, a specific type of show that your parents will let you watch or a specific type of book that you're allowed to read or specific conversations you're allowed to have, like you were saying, you're going to go out in the world only knowing about those certain things. Yeah. And I think in public school, you're exposed to a lot more. Right. So your environment's more diverse and you get to develop different kinds of opinions. Mm-hmm. You're not shocked nearly as much as a lot of homeschoolers. Yeah, it's for are. better and worse or pros and cons. And yeah. I think the huge the thing, thing is, is discussion. It's, it's yeah. asking questions and having discussions about those things. That yeah. 
it's not necessarily you shouldn't talk about them, but it's like, how are you talking about them? Right. And a lot of them are just like, they're, they're, tr- I feel like a lot of the public schoolers that I've met are trained generally to not ask questions. And so, in the sense, they're exposed to a lot, but they don't think about them. They don't test them. They don't, there's no um, skepticism around them. Right. So, those things are just accepted as opposed to talked about in a wholesome manner, like Connor was saying. So, it's interesting. They, they are more exposed to diversity, you know, and it, I mean, even that could be debated, but they're more, they're more exposed to diversity, but they don't have the same foundation to test things that are possibly wrong or test things that might not be socially acceptable, like in, in the world. And I think, and this could also, these are a bunch of generalizations. I want to make that clear. Like, obviously none of this is conclusive and we haven't presented any evidence to make any of these conclusive, mm. but a lot of times when you see homeschooled parents pulling kids out of public school to do that, then putting them in communities that are full of like-minded people. So if I were to go somewhere where there's a bunch of people that agree with me on a bunch of fundamental things, it makes it a lot harder for me to be challenged on those and turn resulting in a lack of maturity, right? Because maturity just comes from challenges, right? Adversity, I would say. Yeah, it's um, a big catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my experience was a little different in the sense that like in a homeschool community, I was challenged a lot and the people I see that weren't challenged, quote unquote, were challenged and they just Mm -hmm. decided to turn their face as opposed to actually learn from it. Well, I think also you, you were put in a homeschool situation that was not, it's the same foundation as you. Foundationally, they they believe different things. So it was a lot easier for you to get challenged. Sure. But there wasn't like 180. Like yeah, public school, of course, of course, of course, yeah. But you, I think you did face more challenges than a lot of the people at that co-op did. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, you guys mentioned the fact that family is a big part of a homeschooled life. So um, I know you guys are both Christians. So what was it like growing in a Christian family? Um, did that help or hurt you guys specifically? Your kind of family, the way that you grew in faith with your family. Um, and this is kind of the same thing. Have you noticed hurt, hurdles or obstacles from like in your journey to faith from the family, anything like that? Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, it's a big I, question. I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Give him time to think. Um, so, yep. Christian home. I feel like that can mean a lot of things in this country. Yeah. Ranging from very deep to very... Uh, in name only nominal Christians I yeah. believe is a term that is used and has been used for a while mm-hmm. um, I nominal think nominal versus what normal yeah mm. yeah um, so I think a huge advantage at least to the way my family was constructed and formed and shaped is we've kind of because when you're doing homeschooling you kind of have to all grow together because you're to get you're actually spending more time together like actually in the same place like one of the main reasons that my mom really wanted to homeschool was with school and sports she's like i feel like i never see my kids i'm sure a lot of parents can relate to that and there are some parents who because of their work situation income situation they you know school is a form of child care in some situations i totally understand that sometimes it's just not possible for some families um to have one parent at home you know they need to have two incomes yeah but uh because we've been blessed to have that flexibility we've had to face challenges together and because we have that foundation um 
it also it just helps a lot and also there's just a level of like example from our parents they've yeah. done a really good job of being an example um, not just teaching in words but actually walking it out because um our so the there's there's four of us and the brother just younger than us just turned 17 has spina bifida and some other medical things he's in a wheelchair and um because of that i mean like you said maturity comes from adversity and challenges and trials and i would say there's some level of like relational closeness that has had to happen through him having so many surgeries and hospital stays and just different things that you have to adapt through and i think without the foundation of um a deep faith and deep relationship with the lord those challenges would have been handled very differently right so mm -hmm. i know that was a a lot of words to uh, you asked multiple questions so i don't know how many of them i hit but hopefully mm -hmm. it was helpful in some ways yeah. yeah i mean i would say like one of the one of the biggest things with homeschooling like the, re the relational challenges with our family uh just it kind of grows exponentially because you're just around your family way more than if you're at school right you know yeah. however many hours you are um and having someone with spina bifida um mentally he he's just not um he, he's different than, than most kids that you would see on the street or in public school sure right he just just to clarify he just developed things things just developed yeah. later and slower mm -hmm. yeah so, right yeah so mentally you know he he could be described uh, as a, like a younger age than being 17, but physically he is, he is 17 and right. that brings challenges. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've just had to talk through things and fight through obstacles that we wouldn't be able to face. Um, I think if we wouldn't have homeschooled, um, we wouldn't be able to grow, I guess I should say as much mm -hmm. as we have because we're together, because we're able to talk through things. Um, and yeah, like another great thing is that we do, uh, like Bible study every morning um, with our family because we're all home together right. and we get to read um, scripture together. Um, and that's one thing that's helped us grow. Yeah, that's which is great. Um, obviously, I mean, you guys know, and you I've heard you guys talk about this before, but it's it's not your parents' faith, it's your faith. And you need to, there's like a, not exactly a deciding moment, but there is a journey in just starting to own your faith slowly every second you decide to start making decisions for yourself you're like i this is mine now and these are the things that i believe um specifically regarding that i mean obviously you guys grew up going to a certain kind of church which had a certain ideology and all of that how has that changed specifically with you connor since you've left the home right you, you have a different area of influence now um how is it held up do you wish that um maybe the family had viewed things differently is there any sort of hurdles that came with that or you know what is your opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, like, there have been times over the past year or two where I have discussions with either Garrett or my parents, and maybe there's not an exact agreeing point because right. yeah. um, there are different opinions out there, and, and that's fine. Um, oftentimes, I think we find we're a little closer on the the discussion i wouldn't call them argument on the discussion yeah. and maybe mm -hmm. it feels like at first once you kind of yeah. define terms and hash yeah. things out a little bit you're like okay we are pretty close on this mm -hmm. it's more um, of a miscommunication than anything right yeah and then you, you come to a common ground yeah so in that regard i mean yeah things things change and i, I don't know if there's a defining moment but i think it's just as you get older like you said you have to make decisions and you realize that 
it's not gonna work if I'm living under somebody else in in right. in regards to faith. Like you yeah. have to, you got to mm-hmm. make it your own, and that's gonna come with its own challenges and its own. I don't want to say benefits, but certainly blessings. Yeah. Um, and I also have seen. I think another thing I've seen, and I I'm grateful, thankful to my parents for this. I've seen other people who it felt like were in similar situations growing up. Mm -hmm. And then you see them kind of take the same steps practically, whether it's kind of going to college, that sort of thing. Yeah. And you wonder like where the, where the foundation go. Yeah. Or was there a foundation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I'm talking about like open rebellion, but just um, there's a change that happens and it's kind of sad to see because it's like, you know, maybe you thought there was depth there, Mm -hmm. but as you continue to grow, and your relationships deepen with people and with the Lord, and you don't see that in other people. It can be, it can be hard to connect. Yeah. Um, but I'm thankful for my to my parents and for my parents mm-hmm. in that way because it feels like um, that hasn't happened. So they prepared me well, and really, it just being preparation, not control. Yeah. Not forcing. It was mm-hmm. like it's preparation and then. It's up to you. Like you gotta take responsibility. Right. So to kind of expound on that question, and I don't want to take us no, off track or anything, it. but do you, can you like tangibly put your finger on certain things your parents did to give you that mindset or to to prepare you as opposed to? I mean, yeah, like you said, there's all these people that you know. We could we could you know lift list off people that you you watch them, you watch their lives, you watch their family, and you say, okay, they have everything that they would need to extend their continue their life and leave their family and, mm-hmm. and actually stay founded right mm-hmm. um but they don't yeah. ultimately they just don't well, so I, th- I think that part of that has to do with homeschooling and i, I don't i'm not trying to answer this for you but definitely answer it but um my experience with it is it, it builds the foundation of critical thinking and you t- like taking accountability for your own actions so like that i'm sure that had something to do with you owning your faith and i think that's what we see a lot of people doing is I mean, I don't know what the statistic is, but I know it's very high of people that go to college and leave their faith. Whatever that faith is, they go to college and they, mm-hmm. they drop it because you don't really take ownership of it when you're under someone else's roof. Like things are being imposed onto you. Um, but I, I know through homeschooling, because I have been homeschooled, you have to take accountability for your own actions. Like it's your assignment. It's not your parents making you do an assignment. Like you, you have to do it. And I'm sure that helped in some way. Yeah, certainly with the curriculum we had, that was the case. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think practically speaking. I Really, I've come under to an understanding of this recently, really. I'd say last six or eight months. Mm-hmm. And this is, I don't know, this isn't necessarily practical. But my parents have really nailed the transition for me, being the oldest. The transition from a parent to more of a mentor and a friend. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of parents struggle with, especially with the oldest child, mm-hmm. um, because there's a level of like control that's just like natural yeah. and you want the kid to succeed and you want things to be perfect, but you just can't do that. So practically speaking, I guess that was just as I got older, I mean, allowing me to get my license, what I did, or allowing me to have access to uh, different events, different circles, even just like. I don't know technology in the way like you have to there are boundaries but it's up to you on how you use the things that that your parents present to you and so they're just practically speaking jobs and sports Mm -hmm. and travel and technology right Mm -hmm. allowing you access gradually Mm -hmm. 
And then also, when it gets to the point that the kid leaves, not that I, I still live in my parents' house when I'm not at school, but right. actually letting go. And mm-hmm. they've done a really good job of that. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, when I was just going to add, like, these, for me, I'm not sure specifically for Connor, but there, like, there wasn't really a sit-down moment where our parents had a conversation and said, okay, we're letting you specifically when just list up okay you can listen right. to music that you want to now yeah. you can watch you know r-rated movies or whatever mm-hmm. it was this type of thing that gradual. yeah it was a, a gradual transition right but what was nice was that then after we were able to grow in some of those things we would then look back and and that was when we had kind of identified and said okay you know this is when you were mature enough to explore those things and we kind of talked about it right it wasn't like we were like okay it was on this specific date that right. we matured in such a way that that happened it was yeah. it was gradual um mm-hmm. and i think communication is definitely like very very key yeah. um between you know both the parents so that they're on the same page and then also with the kids later and i've been very thankful that our parents allow us to approach them really about anything so if we wanted to talk to them about whatever um that we could go to them and and grow but Again, it was just, it, it really is just a hill, you know, this, this yeah. gradual climb of maturity. There wasn't really like a tangible thing that we could say, okay, this is what, you know, this is where it changed. Yeah. It wasn't like a catalyst moment or anything like mm-hmm. that. Right. So, sorry, just to continue, <clears throat> what promoted that communication? Because, you know, telling the truth or being open with your parents is another thing that I see a lot of failed families struggle yeah. with. So, yeah, what what promoted that open communication while maintaining, like, a certain amount of discipline, especially when you're younger? I, I think I can nail this because I've seen a lot of this. and I Your eyes really start to open when you interact with other people mm-hmm. and you see how they were raised differently. And you realize, like, oh, a lot of people have it differently. And it doesn't yeah. look different. You know, you know the difference is when you're younger is like, oh, Jimmy can uh, have two sodas at yeah. dinner instead of one. Like, those are the differences you notice. Yeah. And then you get older, like okay there's a lot of family structure differences right um so i think it starts with open communication from the parents it's by example does that make sense so it's the parent Mm -hmm. maybe mom or dad or both make a mistake and they come to the kids and say hey like I could have done better. I shouldn't have gotten angry in that way. I shouldn't have responded out of my emotion. I should have waited. So that type of example of actually being open with your kids, not like decision-making process, they need to include you in it, especially when you're younger, but being open with mistakes, positive things, negative things, and it's a cycle, right? So if they're closed off and they expect things of you, and they don't actually do them themselves and they don't communicate that to you, then you're going to be closed off. And I've seen that in a lot, a lot, a lot of kids. Yeah. And it's kind of scary, actually. It's like you can live in the house with people and you're just familiar with them. You don't actually know them. Yeah. That happens all the time, especially if there's not, like, luckily for Christianity, there's a foundation that's preached to be open and communicating. And a lot of that, like what you said there, has to do with pride. Because it's not even just about communicating. Like, a lot of people wouldn't find it necessary to communicate a failing. Like, when a parent maybe goes over the line, a lot of parents are like, well, whatever. It's We all know I went over the line there. But actually, like, humbling yourself and being able to go to like, someone who's significantly like your son or your child and be like, hey, I'm sorry. 
it does you're right i mean it definitely does open a situation where the kids feel more comfortable coming to you about certain things i mean and they just lead by example the right thing to do when i make a mistake is to be straightforward Mm -hmm. and to apologize and ask for forgiveness and the interesting thing with that specifically is i don't think you really understand the fruits of it until they're much older so like 18 and that's when you start to notice like oh they're not telling me about who they're dating or they're not telling me about big changes they want to make they're just yep they're not saying things to me and you don't notice it until later there are certain specific situations i can think of and people i've interacted with my own Mm -hmm. life and i won't go into all that but yeah um there's a level of it's like i also know a lot of parents kids will bring them things and then all the parents do is tell them how they could have done it better or yeah they give advice it was really just the kid just wanted to tell him something and then they just nag and nag and nag. So eventually, the kid doesn't want to bring anything to their parents mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. the only experience yeah. they have is the parent just... And not that feedback is bad, not that, you know what I mean? Right, of not course, that yeah. that correction is not necessary, mm-hmm. but like right when, the, when the kid's getting older and they're telling you things, like sometimes it's better to just, you know. And Except, I think it, it yeah. has to do with control and it has to do with pride because, you know, you're... And I get this as a parent, like your kids are a representation of you and your family yeah, out in sure. the world. And so, yeah, you want them to be perfect. You you know you know they can't be, right? but you still want them to be. And so yeah. there's a level of that. Another thing to keep in mind is like when you get to a certain age, you can't really be formed like you were when you were younger. It's true. If I'm nagging on my kid, even if he's like a wonderful kid and he's actually open to taking in whatever like it's much harder to change habits as you get older and it's much harder to form habits as you get older sure so that being said when when a parent decides to like put the relationship with his kid or her kid at strife so that he can or her or she can make them perfect quote unquote you know it's just not a good trade-off it's not worth it that makes me think of a great quote i mean obviously we're talking about there's a relationship change between when your kid becomes an adult and when they're your kid you have to you have to come from a a more humble place like you're you're not quite equals but you're much closer than they were and there's a quote from jordan peterson it goes um you know it's really difficult to find a, a friend that you can share um bad news with right somebody who's there to comfort you it's extremely difficult to find a friend you can share good news with because a lot of people they want to see you do good but they don't want you to do better than them so that they're mm-hmm. like they'll like hype yep. you up they're like go do this you know you're gonna do great but the moment that you actually succeed and go where they couldn't go is a moment where you're like oh never mind like and you start knocking them down and i think it's easy for parents to do that because sometimes in a lot of situations the parents set the kids up better than they were set up because that's a goal of theirs and they don't they try to manage expectations <laughs> um okay we can we can go and resume quick quick break there so um to kind of segue you guys had talked a lot about of course as you were homeschooled some things that happened surrounding homeschooling family um you guys were particularly active in sports team sports more specifically um how has that affected you guys how has that benefited you and what do you think the importance of it is if you think it's important like would you i mean neither of you are i mean you're not quite in college yet and you aren't playing sports in college at least not professional like you i don't know if you do intramural but um it seems odd for a lot of people to carry out sports throughout their entire high school career with no real aspirations of taking them into college so what what was the point of that like why did you find the importance there but not want it to be a career path for you 
Yeah, so I guess just to kick off, it, we were very fortunate in finding, um, at least I, I played basketball throughout my whole high school career, mm-hmm. um, and I'm playing my last year, because uh, I'll be too old next year, I'll be off to college. Mm-hmm. But um, we, were, we were fortunate enough to find a group of homeschool slash small Christian school uh, basketball league, um, and it has really benefited us in the way that our coaches are more like mentors to us. Mm. Um, and it's not just about basketball, that, mm. that there are other things that are taught um, on and off the court about life and, and fundamentally as Christians about how we can build our character um, that has benefited us greatly. Um, and I feel like it's kind of hard to go into it because I can't, couldn't really explain how much yeah. it has changed me over the past, you know, four or five years that I've been on this team sure. before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just on a fundamental level, it, it was more than just a social or an, uh, you know, a sports thing. Yeah. Um, it, it is really another way for us to talk with other guys our age um, and even other girls just about topics and, and things about. Uh, Christianity that that we we wouldn't be able to do before, right? Yeah, it opens some doors that wouldn't have otherwise been opened. Yeah, I will refrain from <laughs> making any girl homeschool jokes about you. <laughs> yes, please. Even <laughs> girls, <laughs> even girls. That's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm so obviously you guys were fortunate in being put in an organization that was prioritized the things you cared about. Do you think that they're like, let's say that people can't find an organization like that? They're going through similar things at home. Do you think that there's still value in team sports outside of that? Or do you think it's just valuable because of that type, a specific organization? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I was thinking about that myself. I could definitely see someone listening being like, oh, well, they had that. I don't have that. They have that. Right. I don't have that. Yeah. And it could be discouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about a lot of life is what you put into it. Yeah. And so if you come in with the attitude of I don't have that, then I can't get what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just the level, learning how to face adversity and be disciplined in any sport is an incredibly valuable thing to learn. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing goes for music or, you know, obviously yeah. school in general, but I think right. extracurriculars is what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you're dealing with sports and team sports in particular, you have to learn how to look outside yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, if you come into it, not with that attitude, then you're not going to learn those lessons, right. regardless of how the team's looking at things. I can think of people who've come through, I mean, played for the same program, can think of people who've come through the program, spent years in the program, and you don't see the same growth right? that maybe I've experienced or I've seen other people experience. And you really can trace it back to what are they willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? How much humility are you willing to come into this with? Yeah, Are you willing to see outside of yourself um so i would that would be my thought and encouragement to those type of people where it feels like they don't have the same amazing opportunity right um there are lots of people with those amazing opportunities that squander them because they aren't willing to put in the work or the discipline or the sacrifice yeah for sure yeah i would say like almost many programs and almost all team sports they have the ability to foster that kind of growth to foster that selfless like a character building mm-hmm. um but because of our because of like programs coaches and because of the mentors they were able to foster um a team that actually was directed in in that growth a team that wasn't directed to 
like there was no monetary value there was no yeah hope, hope for i mean even the the couple they're the one player that actually went and played in college he's not getting any anything out of it financially um but they were always fostered the character development they always fostered the the team building and the selflessness yeah um just to to kind of reiterate how important they are this is this is a uh a study that was done. So 55% of parents believe that sports will benefit their children academically and improve their future careers. 80% of parents believe that sports helped their child learn about discipline and dedication as well as how to get along with others. That's from ohiohotel.org. Uh, but that's just to reiterate, like even if you don't have an environment that is cultivating um, discipline, like, like the coach in that program specifically would mention that every practice about the reasons you're doing it and, and you go into plenty of programs where they're not focusing on that they're focusing on how many shots you're going to make or something like that um, but the beauty is even those types of programs you're still doing something that's difficult you're still having to cooperate with people that you wouldn't have otherwise had to cooperate with you're still practicing critical thinking ability while you're playing the game um, there's a ton of other health benefits and i think those can get overlooked a lot and you notice the difference between someone who did play team sports and someone who didn't especially when they get older they're i mean there's Another great study, unfortunately, I don't have a quote on it, but from the ages of like 18 to 24, the your fitness life in that age, so like if you're chiseled and ripped, the odds of you being chiseled and ripped for the rest of your life are increased exponentially versus if you gain a lot of weight in that time and stop taking care of your body, it decreases exponentially. So it's the, the taking care, especially in adolescence, I think you can actually see it even more in adolescence than you are in that, that prime age, if you will. Um, it's 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 massive you have to you have to value your body and value your health and it's just another great way of doing that i think well i think it comes back to if you can't, if you can't have physical discipline which i would argue is the easiest form of discipline mm-hmm. how are you going to have mental or spiritual or emotional discipline yeah that would be a question i would pose and i think it comes back to kind of what you're talking about and also what you're saying if 80% of parents think that sports are beneficial to their kid, I guarantee that not all 80% of programs yeah. have what we had. Like it's probably closer to 10% or yeah, 5%. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that tells you that there's something there. Yeah. Something, something beyond there. just like what right. our program has. And people recognize it even if they don't necessarily understand fully why. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know because I, I was on this team for a little bit of time, but the time commitment in specifically that program was severe. So what made you guys decide that it was worth it despite the fact that high school was the furthest level you were going to go? So so why did you choose to dedicate that much time into something when, I mean, you guys really, as a homeschooler, you have a, a good bit of freedom. You can kind of move your school around if you need to and, and choose things and you have a lot of options available to you. So what made you choose basketball specifically and why that much time versus another program? We, we kind of talked about it, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm not particularly like the best basketball player. Um, it, especially compared to maybe my brother here. Okay, well, you know, I wasn't wanting you to compare you to me. <laughs> well, you know, that, it well, I, <laughs> He's giving a hard time. I did, yeah, it's true. Um, but my point is that like I realized maybe around my sophomore year uh, of high school that. I wanted to be a part of this team, not because of my basketball skills, but because of what the team brought to the table. So I think that that is what kind of tipped the importance of going to practices and prioritizing this over maybe something else that I could improve myself with was that it wasn't necessarily 
like me scoring a bunch of points on this team or us going and, and winning, you know, a, a bunch of championships or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And again, I don't think it was really necessarily a moment where I was like, okay, this is more important than everything else. It was just comparing what I could have done with that time and decided that basketball and what we had was more important than anything I could have done on my own. Interesting, yeah. This is a, a quote here, and you can tell me if anything comes to mind as I, as I say it. Um, quote, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews twelve eleven. So how does that relate to the program, do you think? Or do you think it does? Was that something you noticed? Yeah, there was certainly a environment of... Well, when it's an environment that's focused on the team and not the self, there's already a level of sacrifice and discipline that has to happen in order for you to really be a part of the team. And so, like, you know that going in. Um, Back to your question before, I played basketball since I was, like, four or five. So it was just something I wanted to see through, Mm -hmm. basically speaking. Um, And I think just all the things that Garrett said about the team itself applied. And that's why, like you were asking, why is it worth the time commitment? And Mm -hmm. I think that's that's part of it for sure as well. Yeah, I mean, to a large degree, everyone understood the... It it's come, kind of comes back to honesty. Everyone kind of was upfront and said, like, this is what we all need to sacrifice in order to make this work it, worth it for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was a brotherhood in a lot of ways. This was for the guys specifically, obviously. But the chant was, you know, one, two, three, the, the sport, the team name, and then four, five, six, family. Like, it was, family was a, a core piece of that program. And everyone knew, like, you had to love there each other. There was vision. Yeah, there was a very, very mm-hmm. clear vision. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like a mission statement or anything. Like it was, it was reminded every opportunity that we could, we reminded it to each other, even right outside. Of the and coach. especially when we didn't necessarily reach that, like in practice, if we were, if it was seen that we were focusing more on ourselves and we were the team, you know, the coaches, thankfully, I think like did a really good job of keeping us in check and saying, you know, you, you guys need to remind yourselves and also each other that this isn't for you. It is mm-hmm. for the team. I think also has to do with a lot of people are attached to outcome, outcome of the game, outcome of the season. And while that certainly is important and you need to have a vision there, um, a lot of people get caught up on outcome. Mm-hmm. I think the story, uh, Gabe, you mentioned one of the players that came out of the program and is now playing in college. Um, there was a game recently where it was it was close and uh, they broke down as they had a lead in the, in the last minute of the game. Broke down, didn't win. Mm-hmm. And um, the name of this this player playing in college who's a freshman uh, yeah. was talking to he's the, the coach's son of the high school program and he's talking to his dad about the game and he said dad I feel like a lot of these guys are still attached to outcomes mm. they're still getting caught up on the outcomes and so as a freshman he's seen that because of the program he you know grew up in and and what was the focus it's interesting yeah yeah and the, and the product of that <clears throat> to a degree is a lack of brotherhood, which has also been communicated by that same player. There's a lack of brotherhood and a lack of family and a lack of commitment to each other and selflessness on that team. Yeah. And I, it's, it's interesting. There's People are often tied to outcome. Like there's not a whole lot of people that are in it for the, the journey of the thing. But that's the problem is that you can't really just focus on like the journey of something 
are the the outcome of something because life is is a journey like if you were to focus specifically on the outcome of faith for example it's like well you're not there is no outcome of faith it's a journey it's, it's a journey every step of the way so if you were to say like oh I, I want to be i want to end up here i want to end up closest to god or whatever it's kind of you're going to get caught in a mountain that you can't climb i think yeah that's very it's very interesting um connor specifically this is a question for you but you've had a good bit of sales experience um you launched a sales office that grossed a lot of money i mean you've, you've clearly been successful um so what are some things about sales you think people don't know like is it i mean you're good at it so maybe you have something that some people don't um has there been any insight into that world that's helped you in other areas of your life um and if so what are they what a 180 also i'd like to clarify uh, a lot is relatives that's fair <laughs> that's that is fair think of he's filthy rich in, everyone in tens if, and if anyone wants a sugar daddy it's, it's right here yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so it's true yeah sales is very interesting you learn a lot it's something that's not for everybody because it is certainly uncomfortable yeah. i think that's the biggest thing you're just learning how to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. um i think what's really cool is you have to you're not going to make a meaningful sale if you don't connect with the person and it's it just shows the importance of relationship even if you really never talk to the person again um, if you're willing to just be open to them about yourself they'll be open with you about themselves and Mm -hmm. then you can actually help them and you understand their situation and get them try to help get them the thing that fits their needs the best and is actually going to serve them going forward. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I don't know if any of you know of or listen to Alex Hormozy, but mm-hmm. yeah. he talks a lot about how if you can get to the point where as a salesperson, your goal is not to make the sale, but your goal is to understand the person you're talking to, the prospect, mm-hmm. and help them make an informed decision based on their situation and based on the product. Yeah. You can't lose. If that's your goal right. and you do that and they say no, you did what you came there to do. Yeah. And that matters a lot. And he also talks about, I'm familiar with him, he talks about like the value proposition, right? A lot of times in sales when somebody doesn't purchase something, it's because they see a lack of value. Like the money for that item doesn't associate to the value that is perceived for that item. So a lot of times, yeah, you can talk with them and if you're if they're honest with you and you're honest with them, you can cultivate, you can really get to know what they need, which is that's the first goal. And then you can eventually get to the point where you can say, hey, you know, why don't you think this is valuable if they end up saying they don't want to go with the product? But I think it's interesting because, and this is just a philosophy that I've kind of found and went forward in life. I'm sure people have also found as well, but I, I think life is, is sales in a lot of ways. Um, you have to sell yourself to a lot of people. You have to sell your resume to your jobs. You have to sell, in some ways, Christianity to people who don't believe it. There's a lot of ways that sales is helpful, and, and maybe selling is the wrong word for some of that. I mean, not that it's the wrong word, it just can be misinterpreted, but yeah. I think that it can be right in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a stereotype for sales that yeah. maybe wouldn't apply to some of that, but the yeah. general concepts are definitely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what in sales, how has that affected you in outside life? Like, how do you think that the principles, like you said, of open communication between you and the person and help trying to help them find what they need? Uh, and maybe even like value propositions, things like that. How has that helped you? Yeah. So that's a good question. 
I if think, it has. Yeah, course, no, yeah. right. Well, I think there's a level of there's a, there's a few ways to look at it. So if you look at sales as helping people, which if you have a good product and you are honest, it is. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way, certainly as a believer in Christ and someone who's walking with the Lord as best as I can, um, a goal of my life is to be a source of life, a source of fruit, a source right. of, you know, those sorts of things to the people around me. And so maybe part of the learning is just kind of how to do that practically. Mm. Um, first of all, there are some people that just won't buy. Yeah, sure. And in the same way as you're going throughout life, sometimes people are not going to receive the help that they need. Even if you know what they need, practically, spiritually, emotionally, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If they aren't willing to receive it, if they're not in a place to receive it, you could say all the right things and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I think I've seen that a lot in sales. Like, I know how valuable this product is. I know how amazing this is. I know this person based on what they've shared about their financial situation, maybe yeah. even in the sales call. I know they could afford it, yeah. but they just aren't willing. And I, I'm not trying to compare selling a product that certainly isn't as deep as people's uh, emotional, spiritual right. situations. Sure. I'm sure. not trying to compare that. But um, I think that's one way is, is you just learn that, you know, not, sometimes people just aren't going to be helped. And then also mm-hmm. just how to empathize. It's, and how to really empathize, like actually put yourself in the other person's shoes. Right. Yeah. Um, it helps a lot. And that carries over to every part of life. Sure. Yeah. And Gary, I mean, you haven't had uh, the same sales experience, but of course, I think everybody kind of understands sales, at least to a basic degree of like sure. the fundamentals of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Is there anything that you think? I mean, I don't think anything like specifically, I, I guess I could say that I, I do agree in the sense that you 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 do sell yourself, if, if you want to use that term, constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, there are plenty of situations where you don't realize mm-hmm. that you're doing it. Um, I think like I, I can say relationally, there are a lot of times where you you have this relationship with someone and you just don't you don't realize how much either you affect that person or else that person affects you Mm -hmm. and just how that that back and forth can affect how you treat one another um and how important maybe that relationship is to both of you moving forward um so i can say for me specifically at least in the way that i treat some of my friends i've realized that you know you you will you know, you'll grow closer to people and you'll, you'll fall away from, from some people. Right. Um, and I think if, if that kind of relates to, to how you, to how you sell yourself to these people, um, that can affect how important you can, you show yourself to these types of people, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So like you, if you're, yeah, I think yeah, you're, like your perceived value. Right. 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 Yeah. And to, and to add like Connor, you talked about, <clears throat> you talked about how like selling, the empathy that's required or to, to sell right you not only have to have empathy but you have to be able to create relationship mm-hmm. that i mean that's just so applicable in life like to be mm-hmm. to be able to learn from that and to be able to apply that to life to be able to create relationships with people and empathize with people whom you don't really know i mean that's difficult for me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah people that you 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 don't really have a reason to empathize with them 
I'm that's the foundation of being able to develop a connection where you can spread the word, where you where you can show them eternal life. Mm-hmm. And I think another to go on the selling analogy, selling yourself mm-hmm. when you're selling. Obviously, there's a level of I'm presenting this. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that's selling, but also. How does the product then function after they get it? I feel like mm-hmm. that's also part of the sales process. I know, not technically speaking. No, I know but what you mean. If you're relating it to life, you present yourself in a certain way at a first time meeting, but then how are you presenting yourself continually right. as you get to know someone or don't? Maybe they just see it. What type mm-hmm. of example are you setting as you're walking? And a lot of times, that's where the whole rep on sales goes. Exactly. Yeah, yes. that's exactly the, what I'm talking about. The pitch, about. and that's yeah. it. Right. And maybe it sounds great in the pitch, but then when you get the product, it falls flat. Same yeah. thing with some people that can present themselves in a certain way. <clears throat> then you find out it's just a facade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, these analogies are certainly powerful and very applicable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's why I think everyone should push themselves to have a sales job at one point in their life. It stinks. It's not fun. You sound like Mark Cuban. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, because I think even to the people who fail, at least you said you did it, right? There's not much pain yeah. that comes out but of I that. But I think that there's actually, I think that sales can be harmful if you do not do it right. Well, it depends. But I, I, yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely right. It's, it varies. Like sometimes you can end up selling a product that's bad and being manipulative. Well, I'm no. I'm talking about and how it develops character. Like not even harmful to the buyer, not monetarily at all. Like how how it can be harmful to one that is selling, because sales can create an unempathetic. Like they can honestly have the opposite effect. They it can, can do the, yeah. the full reverse. Mm-hmm. You can learn how to not be mm-hmm. empathetic. You can learn how to sell for the money. You're outcome oriented, yeah. like we talked about. Exactly. Yeah. And honestly, mm-hmm. if you want to circle back even more, you can look at what I said earlier about. Um, you get out what you put into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're exactly right. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you could, it's a very easy way to become manipulative and a little bit sociopathic because you can just, I mean, you can act. It's like you said, like you can present yourself really well on that first, that, that pitch or that meeting or whatever you want to call it, sell the product, you got your money or whatever, and then walk away and that's it. You start to look at people as numbers. Yeah, and yeah. that's extremely mm-hmm. dangerous. But I think yeah. that, to all people who want to learn, like obviously there's got to be the want there. We talked about that. You have to want the journey um, and not just the outcome. But if you can become good at sales, I think you'll notice success and a ton of avenues in your life, not just sales. Yeah. I think it's a super important part of life. And even and it's hard to really like get sales experience without actually just doing the thing. You know, to a degree. I mean, yeah. I feel like a lot of things are sales, and they're just not. It's not sales. Like that, what's not your job description, but it yeah. is. You know, it is sales. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. just level of like retail and fast food that are sales in right. some way. And if that's the best you can do, and you go into the right mindset, then you can still learn a lot from that sort of situation right. too. Yeah, for sure. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, some people, oh, I don't have that opportunity in front of me. I don't have what they have. Right. That's one way to look at it too. Is there's a lot of aspects of those jobs. When you're interacting with people it's sales. and there's a product involved, there's a level of sales. And mm-hmm. obviously you'd say, oh, they already come in knowing what they want to buy. True. But you're still helping, yeah. you're still helping people. Well, and- I mean, and if you have sales knowledge, maybe they don't. Like, Or you have product knowledge. Maybe they don't. They don't know what they right. want coming in. And because you know that they want the product in the first place, it's you can easier. really help them 
come to the you know you can really tell them what would actually benefit them and what would be the best price because you're not really getting anything out of it i think that's almost the beauty that's a good point Mm. yeah yeah yeah. Like you really can't just help them because the you're not getting anything. Yeah, back. it's an hourly wage. It doesn't matter if you have one person come in, you take their order or twenty. Right. It doesn't change mm-hmm. anything for you. So it really can't can't be outcome based. Yeah. You have it's to help. Truly them. a mm-hmm. what you put into it is what you get out of it. Yeah. So it's a great point. Yeah, that's that's true. Um you know, recently uh, this is gonna kinda of segue into a question, but recently I've studied a lot about like the law of correspondence, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Keep talking. (laughs) I can briefly summarize it. Uh, It's defined as what happens around us is a direct reflection of what happens within us. Our internal environments determine our external environments. So it's essentially a really fancy way of saying manifestation. Like it's Mm, it's, to a degree. To a degree. I think, yeah. They're they're very similar. This is this is a more in depth. Like this has been studied a little bit more than just manifestation has. Um, I would actually say the opposite. That. My my research has indicated that this is basically like the fancy scientific way of saying manifesting. Yeah. yeah, there's not really like a study of manifesting. This is like the study of it. Um, and you guys have talked about, both of you have talked about the spiritual condition of the world um, and maybe more specifically the Western world. Uh, I'm wondering what do you think that it is right now? And, and maybe is there a way to put God back on the top of our hierarchy? in the western world is there a way to to almost fix it well i don't think that there is like you have a number one no, thing that no no i could think give. that starts right here on this couch <laughs> oh really we are going <laughs> to re-implement god what do they say <laughs> be the change yeah there you go just do it just do it cliches yeah sorry go ahead no it's okay i was like one thing that jumped out to me immediately um and I don't. I don't know necessarily like a solution for this. This isn't me, of course. Salt pump. Yeah. But um, it starts with parents teaching their kids. Mm. So next generation is is huge, and I think there's going to be a lot of cultural changes as we see the next generation uh, as they get older and how they react. Like you see that, um, you know, it, it seems anywhere you look, there's there's companies needing jobs, and yet you have all these teenagers and young adults who are just sitting at home playing video games right and even just fundamental like work ethic i feel like it's just kind of dropping off mm-hmm. um and so i guess to circle back it, it starts with the parents teaching the kids fundamental even simple fundamental lessons of setting your alarm getting up in the morning right and not just being lazy mm-hmm. um that would definitely help start you know to, to see an uptick and and biblical foundations, um, I think in in kids and young adults. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways you could go with this. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a very yeah. My answer is you can't. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, frankly, like uh, first off, it's not going to. I mean, that's just. I mean, Rebel, it's prophesied Biblical. about it not happening. Yeah, right. So, but of course, but I mean, the best that we can do, I get. The, the well, call, I think I think Paul was just action. saying if you could if you could give well, me one or two examples that would ha- that you think would help, like what you think is most important for me, see, it would be the parents. Would call be that, a good sure, and that's example. fair. But I, in reality, like the best thing that we can do, I think, is a call to action, and that call to action is it just starts with ourselves. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, we're called to Absolutely. evangelize. We're called to know the Lord and make Him known. So we just need to be lights, and there's no way to put God on top in the general West. Right, there's just no yeah, way. Right. But yeah, we sure. can save one person life. at a time. Exactly. Can, can you right. put God on top of your life day by yeah, day? Exactly. Which is I a agree. lot harder yep. than it sounds. it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we all know that. Mm-hmm. Lots of people know that. Uh, it starts there. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same thing with what we were talking about earlier with parents. It's like 
if they aren't being examples, if they say one thing and do another, then the kid's going to start doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing for us as we go mm-hmm. about our lives. Yeah, I mean, I guess to, to hone it in, I mean, I mentioned this, the spiritual condition of the world, and this is something specifically you, Connor, have talked a lot about. And it's interesting, relating to this law of correspondence that I've been studying, you know, what it, it can be applied kind of both ways. There's a, a quote here from Luke. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, essentially saying, you know, it, it can be inverted. There's another one. Um, I think it's Mark, but it basically says where, it might be Matthew, but where your, where your treasure is, your heart also lies. So it pretty concretely can be inverted. So if, if you have a world that's full of secular culture, um, hedonism essentially, that you can pretty much indicate that the spirit inside of them is not good because the fruits of their actions are not good. So, you know, what's your opinion on this, the spirit of the West, maybe more specifically, and is there a way to remedy that? If I had to, I think I'd have to narrow it down more to maybe what I've seen in my experience sure, to really yeah. address it. Mm-hmm. And looking at the Western church, the okay. American church. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've said this phrase about 10 times in the last 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but it goes back to what we said before. We're very um, outcome-based yeah. or outcome-focused. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Numbers are tangible, and it feels you can feel like you're making a difference if you have numbers. Yeah. Um, but I think anyone who really stops and looks at it would agree that churches in this country and in the West um, – they are run like businesses in a lot of ways. And again, I get the appeal and there are some certainly very good things about uh, having strategies and being efficient and like, I get it. But if you're outcome-based, Stephen doesn't make any sense from the standpoint in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, He preached a killer sermon, a sermon that had Jesus standing in heaven and then got, got but stoned. then he got killed. Yeah. Mm. That's his outcome. His outcome is he died. Right. So that's not a good sermon if you're looking at it that way. Right. I also look at Noah. Noah preached for years and years and years and years. And uh, by our standards, he was a terrible preacher. Right. His only converts his were his family. family. Yeah. All eight of them. So if you're looking at it outcome based, Noah, no. Uh, like, no. Like, no. <laughs> why, would, why would we care about him? Right. If mm-hmm. it, you're looking at it by outcome. And I think. The solution is, are we willing to look at the world as God looks at the world and not by our standards, not by our expectations? Mm -hmm. And that's so hard. And there's so many different ways you could look at that. But to address what your question is as best I can, I think Mm -hmm. that's hopefully encompasses some of what you're looking for. And just to add some like like, um, biblical evidence of that, if you think about Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's plea to spare Sodom and Gomorrah just if there was 10 good people faithful people just if there was nine just if there was four and then they end up just not being any good and faithful people in Sodom and Gomorrah and so God ended up annihilating both cities but but my point is like God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if it was one holy faithful person in Sodom and Gomorrah yeah and, and I mean yeah when you look at it from a numbers perspective it's like okay there's like 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how big. Yeah, how many thousands? Yeah. Thousands. Least, yeah. Ten thousand to one. No, I'll just kill all of them. Doesn't. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. From a utilitarian perspective, it makes sense to just kill all of them. But no, God would have spared them because of the one, and and that mm-hmm. and that depth, that one, the the. Uh, okay, or you also you also take like um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It says. Um, like a light will light up a whole household. All it takes is one light bulb and it'll, it'll shed light on the whole entire room, right? That one light can just bring that much more light. And people don't, and people are much more focused on just, you know, bringing in people rather than creating lights of the world. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe to go in more depth, because you mentioned the church specifically, they really are structured as as businesses at this point. businesses yeah it, it, they are like for better or for worse and, and to some extent it's a good thing right i mean like businesses are built to run efficiently and we want efficiency like we don't yeah you don't want to be wasteful obviously. yeah that, that was, was like we do the church does make money and they use money and we want them to be smart about how they use the money so naturally there are some things about business that i want them to sort of learn from if you will but as far as evangelizing goes don't take any business strategy to that that's that's a different that's like godly that's a different way of looking at things i mean it doesn't follow it's like when you think about physics and quantum physics they're two different like laws they don't obey each other i mean it's like uh it's like um when adidas started <laughs> you know adidas started the company the quality was like the focus right and that's why they became a successful company mm-hmm. now they have the name same with apple honestly they have the name Any big and company. now they can just throw out garbage and sell it for high prices <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. Oh, you just dissed two companies. I did. <laughs> yeah. uh, allegedly, <laughs> don't sue us. <laughs> no. no, but I mean, that's just what it is. Once you have the name. Equal sign, <laughs> garbage. <right. laughs> yeah. No, but once you have the name, you can make profit on garbage. Mm-hmm. Quality doesn't matter anymore. Quantity does. Well, because it, it's sales. It's all sales. It's right? sales. It's, so, well, it's perceived value. Right. Perceived and, and, that's, and that's not good, first off, because the consumer is getting junk. And, and that's the same exact as the church. When... When your whole focus is how many lukewarm Christians can we get into this building? I mean, there's no real results. Yeah. Well, and it does it doesn't it come back to what you're selling? Yeah. As the church, mm-hmm. right? What are you selling? What are you telling people? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you telling people? Their lives will look like. Yeah. Right. God is they, love. Right, right. Show up on Sunday. Like, yes. Yes, he is. But what way are you framing that to them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you? Is it the the Jesus that? Um, I can't remember exactly where, but he basically, the, the Bible says, I, I can't remember exactly, I think it might be Mark. Uh, he's, is the scripture says that a lot of people believed. Mm-hmm. And then he basically talks a lot of them out of their faith mm-hmm. because he recognizes that they have not counted the cost. They have not really identified in their hearts that they want to do this thing. He's actually doing them a favor by talking them out of their faith, quotation marks. Right. Um, he doesn't talk them out of their faith, but he exposes that their heart wasn't in it to the yeah. point they want to stone him. It goes from like 20 or 30 verses from many believe to, and they wanted to stone him. Yeah. We don't yeah. see that in the church or the equivalent, right? Yeah. In, in many places. And it's because we're so concerned about outcome. If we right. reach a hard message, it's real. How many people leave? That's a yeah. that's a conversation that has had. I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, you talk about like you look, you Google how many Christians are 
are in the world. Two billion? Wow, that's a big number. And then you go to Revelation, it says, the elect few. Yeah. It's like, hold on. Two billion doesn't, doesn't seem like a very few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they're not. Yeah. Right. Again, it's how are you looking at it? Yeah. Are mm-hmm. you looking at how the world sees a Christian or how God defines a Christian? Right, right. exactly. Two different things. I mean, it's interesting. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people varying in their, their warmth, we can say, how committed they are to their faith. Um, but I've had a lot of situations where I specifically have recently delved into the Old Testament and learning about the character of God, because I think that's really important to understanding the New Testament. You have to understand who he is. Amen. Um, and so I had this conversation with someone um, on a drive. We were talking about the Old Testament, and we were talking about um, the temple and the different rooms in the temple, and then the, the holy room, the holiest of holies, um, and how the only priests could enter there and if a normal person were to enter there, they would, they would die because God was there. Um, and I told somebody this and they said, that doesn't sound like Christianity. And I was like, what? I mean, like, because this is very, it's very concrete. It's not like a theory. This is, this is in the Bible. And like, it sounds cultish, like to have to, you know, because you, there was, you had to wash your hands and feet before you entered a certain room. And I mean, there were real things happening there. And they were like, that doesn't make sense to me. So I pulled up the verses so that I could say like, no, no, like, let me clarify. This, this is real. Um. But just that right there is this person attends church very regularly, every Sunday, rarely miss. Um, but it's interesting to see that they don't, they didn't know that. That wasn't preached. It was the New Testament that was preached. Well, was, one thing I, I will say is that you, you talk about the Holy of Holies and how only a priest can answer, enter. Mm-hmm. And then you think about, you know, the crucifixion mm-hmm. and how when Jesus died and the thunder struck, the veil was torn. The veil was torn. Yeah. And so from a Christian perspective, that Holy of Holies, it was now accessible to the human. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I, like, like right. that's not, I mean, the, yes, but it's, it's part of your point that the veil tearing has no power it doesn't mean anything and if lust. what you're talking about isn't true. Exactly. Right. If it's not a holy of yeah. holies, the veil tearing doesn't matter. Yeah, were, it's all the same to begin with. And this same person didn't yeah. know what the veil tearing meant, which made complete sense that it was like, Ooh, oh, of course you don't. Curtain split. That's neat. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Lightning. that's the thing is if you don't understand the, the Old Testament, you have no um, sort of litmus test to the New Testament. You don't understand the value and the weight of the New Testament if you don't know the Old Testament. And I think a lot of modern churches, and this is a generalization again, but they tend to forego the Old Testament because it's been undone by the New Testament, as they might say. Um, and that's a part of the danger. It's like you're not, because the Old Testament is nitty and gritty. Like you see God just like murdering thousands because he's like, you're not holy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, murder! <laughs> I know. Killed with intent. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta make sure people don't get the transcript of this. No, they yeah, need that's to get fair. The re- video recording, so they have our tones of voices attached. Yeah, we might get, we might get wrecked. Right. Yeah, that's true. This is why. Please don't subtitle this. <laughs> yeah. Be very bad. Oh man. Um. Sorry for all those. Yeah. yeah never mind. <laughs> oh man but i mean yeah so it's interesting because and i've had a, a lot of conversations with people specifically about judgment and we don't have to dive too deep into this but it, that's part of the reason that i've gone into studying about the law of correspondence right so when you mention judgment in the bible people often turn to matthew 7 verse 1 judge not that you not be judged and then it goes on to talk about hypocrites take the log out of your own eye uh, to see the, the nail in others um, 
it, it's it's interesting um but then you have verses like this matthew seven sixteen, which is interestingly the same verse um you will recognize well, the them the same chapter, chapter. sorry uh, you'll recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so it's interesting to say that you know in order and we all studied formal logic so in order to form any like kind of basic thought there has to be a judgment there right you have to understand something in order to discern there's a standard yeah mm-hmm. sure um and and it's inter- i mean it's interesting to talk about the law of correspondence and 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 understanding people by their fruits because there's another verse and unfortunately i don't know the exact um quote for it or where it is in the bible exactly but it's um and i'm going to paraphrase it says something along the lines of if you are to sit and eat with evil people you are also evil like don't invite evil people into the dinner table okay so it's interesting you're bringing this up because mm-hmm. i read this this morning okay wow that's open, awesome open the, bible, open the word here um it's first corinthians 5 okay paul is talking about and i can just kind of read some of the passage here yeah uh, he says, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Um, the such a thing that's referenced a couple of verses earlier is sexual immorality among the church. Mm-hmm. And it says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. This is the part where it talks about little leaven leavens the whole lump if we continue um verse nine i wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people Mm -hmm. not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers idolaters since then you need to go out of the world but now i am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed Mm -hmm. or is an idolater reviler drunkard or swindler not even to eat with such a one. I think this is kind of what you're referencing. Mm. Um, and then Paul finishes uh, verse 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? So he's saying people outside of the body mm. do not live and are not held accountable to the same standard. By they can't yeah, by God, right. yes, but not by us. We can't right. hold them accountable to the same standard because they're not living for the same things we are. Right. Sure. He says, it, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge god judges those outside purge the evil person from among you mm-hmm. so here we are mm-hmm. the same bible that people say oh don't judge don't judge don't right. judge right but among people who claim to be following the, the lord bible. who are supposedly living after the same standard we are to judge and purge harshly yeah I, it's right there yeah you know i just want to throw this out there it's really interesting that our a lot of churches are very mission like based and like the whole goal is to get people that are not christian into christianity when you read something like that and it's like hold on maybe you should fix the people that Mm -hmm. do claim to be christian maybe we should have standards for our brothers right like yeah it's because it's hard it's it's harder and it feels worse so oh yeah uh bringing bringing someone to the faith we know if it's real god's doing it and we're vessels and we can help that process in certain ways by the spirit but um that's more enjoyable and it's more it's also takes sometimes it takes less time in a way because it's like a one-time moment thing there is certainly a salvation moment but if you're gonna (laughs) hold people accountable 
and be purging from your own life, letting mm-hmm. God purge you, and then also being a vessel of accountability and standard and, and rightful judgment to people around you. There's a lot of tension there. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're helping in the mm-hmm. same way that it feels like you're helping someone who's, you know, beat by evangelizing. Again, lots mm-hmm. of quotation marks used mm-hmm. here. Again, please watch the video. <laughs> yes, yeah, for real. Yeah, there's be a lot of context missed. Um, well, it's interesting. I had someone that I was listening to um, as as a bystander talking about the commitment of brotherhood, what it means to be in a in a, a unit of people mm-hmm. that are all committing to something, and what it means to hold them accountable. What it means to it because a lot of people view kindness or love as. Um, as niceness to be honest as, as you being nice about something being like like let's say me and you both commit to reading a verse a day let's just say this example uh, and i miss a day and you in turn are like it's okay it happens to all of us that's a nice thing to say and a lot of people would view that as you loving me and it may be depend there's a lot of s- circumstances around that that where that might be the right answer but in reality love is is, is harsh and it's real and it's not you saying that's okay. It's you saying, "Hey, man, like we made a commitment. You said you would do this. We all agreed that this was the thing to do, and you're not doing it." Not definitively, but yeah, right. There's like always, I said, there's yeah. a time and a place. Like love is many things, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, love is selfless. Main yeah. thing is it's selfless, right? Love, it, love is doing what's best for the person. Yeah, that what, what you think with your knowledge is best for that person and that can that will change obviously depending on the situation right which is hard it's which very is something difficult. that that connor mentioned like mm-hmm. it's hard it's difficult to go to someone who is on your side right and and tell them what you're doing is just not adequate right and to and do that in day. humility and with love yeah mm-hmm. on, on some days it might be yeah it's okay you know sure just make sure you read tomorrow's verse or whatever yeah, yeah. maybe catch up or something yeah, yeah right but and then other days it'll be okay so then you need to read the ver- you need to read two verses tomorrow or whatever it may mm-hmm. be you have to you have to compensate for what you missed for and i think a lot of times christians hear jesus's love right and it's it's always the first option it's always okay we'll just make sure to do it tomorrow mm-hmm. and that's the only option there's no you catching up for this example right well and, and not even because honestly like to me that the catching up is even still like very nice but sometimes it takes a brutal honesty of saying like i mean like this is an example between me and you we've we've made commitments to each other to hold each other accountable to be better people and there are times where i mess up well i say i'm gonna hit the gym at x time and instead of him being like it's all good man he's like dude what is wrong with you you said you'd make a commitment we're supposed to do this thing and you didn't do it and like and there's a real moment where you have to be like that's not okay it's it's almost like setting a boundary. You have to be firm and saying like this is not cool. Mm-hmm. And I think in a large part, like if that's how we're going to define love, which I think is a biblical definition of love, then if you object, that's fine. It, it, it might not be true, but um, in my belief, that's a biblical definition of love. And we're not even loving the church that way. Like how often do you really see somebody walk into the building and you know for a fact that person was partying last night or that person wasn't really following the Lord and, and some of their actions. Before they came to church, but it's all okay because they're at church. It's like, no, you have to hold them accountable. Be like, you're praising the Lord right now, but what are you going to do when you walk out this building? Are you really going to continue to praise the Lord? Are you really going to continue to do the things you claim you want to do in this building? That's love, and I think that that's what's really lost. Is yeah, we have a lot of lamb love and not a lot of lion love. Mm. If you know, that's great. You know, yeah, the nature mm-hmm. of of the Lord is 
the love of the lion and the love of the lamb. And there are times and places for both when it takes discernment to understand that. Uh, it's a very delicate process. Yeah. You know, we don't want to sit here and act like one, either one, we're doing it perfectly or two, we know how for everyone else to do it perfectly because like you said, uh, it's very situational and mm-hmm. we all understand that. Um, but yeah, the, the bottom line is there's a lot of lamb love in the standpoint of it's, it's soft, it's kind, it's gentle, um, and not a lot of, um, I don't want to say harsh, but that line, it's strong, it's firm, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're both powerful. In, yeah. their, in their right no, places. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a call to action. It, yeah. It's a. Uh, and, and here's the thing yeah. if you really care about the person, really actually care about them, mm-hmm. then you better have lion love and not just lamb love. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you think about it. If you think about it this way, and I don't, I mean, there's debates that can be held around, around this, but I, sometimes I think of certain friends that have started to fall off, started to backslide me deciding to let them backslide because you know I don't want to hurt their feelings or I don't want to get in the way of our friendship or whatever mm. is me saying I care less about their salvation than our friendship and and also their and your comfort level you're saying yeah. I prefer, yeah. I, I prefer my comfort to their yeah. salvation and it, yeah. it really is more comfortable like yeah. oh, there's yeah. no one denying right. that one thing mm-hmm. I will say is that uh, in this life you're going to have to get used to friends leaving because not yeah. everybody can handle that. And, and like you said, like, right. I, I forget exactly when it was or how you said it. But at, at the beginning of this, or yeah, the beginning of the podcast, you said something like, um, when you said it, I thought of like, don't throw pearls at pigs. Like some people are mm-hmm. not going to be able to expect. Was it the selling thing? Yeah. Just some like people aren't going to buy, they're not exactly. able to receive Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Some people just aren't going to receive help. And you're going to have to live with that and let them go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is kind of the last topic, but it does integrate pretty well. You guys have, you both mentioned end times. Connor, I think you more specifically have had thoughts about its approach and current climate. And this kind of goes on where we're at spiritually as, as a world. Um, and I'm curious what your opinions on that are and maybe why you think that it is approaching us or if you do again delicate balance mm. yes um everyone agrees <laughs> you say the word balance and it was like yep yep, yep yeah, absolutely that's, that's the word <laughs> yep so i think of matthew 24 mm. i would just encourage everyone to go read that and if you're reading that and you feel like some of the things that are being talked about by Jesus in that chapter are happening, and um, I think that's one way to gauge it. Okay. Um, by no means do I think it's wise to put any sort of timetable on anything. Yeah. I don't think that's the intention. Like, you got to look yeah. at why does God give us revelation? Why right. does Jesus speak about yeah. end times when He's on the earth? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? You why won't know the time nor the hour, but you'll know the season. Right. You will. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why are those things important? Why would He give them to us? It's clearly not to try to predict it, right? Or tell other people that it's going to happen from the standpoint of um, rightness or just as a fact. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, it has to do with urgency. Um, we have to live our lives with an urgency. We have to make sure we're focused on what's important. Yeah. I mean, we have to live as if it is tomorrow. I right. mean, that's just... Yeah. That's interesting, though, because, you know, 
let, let's say we go back uh, 500 years, for example. Um, were they? Did they not have that urgency? Did they not need it? I would argue differently in a way, actually, because I don't know specific situations there, but mm -hmm. I know reading some of Paul's letters and reading in Peter, <laughs> James, and John, they'll they, literally say yeah. Yeah. That, what they say. They, I mean, they thought it was coming the right then and there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to yeah. them, they knew what was important. And so the time was always near. And it yeah. doesn't matter whether practically, actually speaking, it's near. Also, I think this comes back to, again, how does God look at it versus how do we look at it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Time yeah. doesn't matter to him. Right. So if we're looking at how God looks at it, yeah, the time is near. Like, of course it's near. He knows when it's going to happen and it's there for him mm -hmm. in a way he can see it and it's that's hard for our brains to understand sure so i don't know if that i mean yeah and then you the look question. at you look through history and you see like all these different tribes anytime anything bad happened oh revelations come i think yeah. that's yeah. by design because we yeah, like, keep us like connor said we yeah I mean, we mm -hmm. have to live with urgency mm -hmm. and since throughout history everybody thought that the next day that jesus was going to come and throughout history it probably helped some people. Well, yeah, and it's it's the I've heard this mentioned not just biblically, but even at like work. Like this specifically, this generation does not have a sense of urgency. Unlike ninety percent of their actions, like you'll even notice in their movements, they do things slowly. Everything is slow. Like, and maybe it's also just intentionality. A lack yeah, of that's intentionality. that might be another word, another mm -hmm. like maybe a better yeah. word for They're it. They're sluggish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like they're, they're, nobody knows exactly, like nobody's chasing something. It's always just kind of like a. I, Existing? Yeah. yeah. I'll live life like I'm going down a river, just kind of see where it takes yeah, me. Yeah, they're just like they're living. Just, I yeah. mean, honestly, like overarchingly, we're just heading towards hedonism, and the only thing they're rushing to is the party. Like the only thing they're rushing yeah. to is that sense of pleasure and fun. Mm -hmm. Sure. To get yeah. away from the obstacles that they do face, yeah. whether they are small. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting, like. And I do encourage people to to read that part of Matthew because that's that's like a pretty understandable part. Revelation's great, but good luck. It's difficult to understand, and there's comes, a lot there. It's the you you really have to understand the Old Testament if you're going to understand Revelation. Yeah, and it's also it's a process of understanding. I think about how um, at the end of I don't remember which gospel. I think it's Luke, mm. and I'm gonna look. <laughs> Just so I don't get it wrong, because this is very important. And this is a great encouragement to me and I think anyone else. Yes. Okay. Verse 45 of the very last chapter, chapter 24. Um, he says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Hmm. We're talking about the disciples here. Yeah. The same disciples that were raised Jewish in Jewish law. Yes, some of them were fishermen. I understand they weren't all rabbis. But you better... They, they, they knew, knew it. The Old they knew it. They knew it. It was all over the place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they had to... I yeah. mean, they, then they walked with Jesus them. for yeah. three years. Yeah. They three knew. years with him, almost all the time. And it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. At the end. Not that they didn't have some understanding before. Not that they understood everything then. But it's a process. Yeah. And so you're not just going to flip over in Revelation or any part of the word. And that's why it's so important to chew it again and again and again mm -hmm. and again and go to the Lord for it again and again and again to go to brothers and sisters again and again and again mm -hmm. so that you can have those then he opened their minds moments throughout mm -hmm. life it's it's super interesting too because I, I can't remember where I heard this and I'm I'm pretty sure it's accurate but Revelation is the first real book that was ever written 
with a certain writing style it's called apocalyptic writing um so you can like there's so many different ways and you can just all of the bible but there's so many different ways to study it you can study it from a writing perspective so for example like uh last my last year of high school we studied the psalms but we studied it from a poetic perspective as well as like reading the word but you can do that with like a ton of books in the bible so same thing with revelation you can look at like specifically apocalyptic writing style and understand it even more and that's one of those books that like there's a reason that there's such creative analogies and metaphors sprinkled in because it's supposed to be kind of i think cryptic is the wrong word but it's not supposed to be cut and dry there's a lot there i think because it's it's a lot of things that are it's hard to explain them physically right yeah they are very spiritual in nature so it's hard i can't imagine john seeing what he saw and then trying to write with words about it like right how Mm. and i I know he had the help of the spirit but like Mm -hmm. Words don't exist. Are there even words in the language that he could write down that would explain? Probably not. Yeah, it's it's so great and vast, but yeah, it's super interesting. Um, And I'm glad that that you clarified because I did have a verse in here. Obviously, you know, concerning that day and hour, no one will know that, that, and everyone knows that. But it's interesting about. I mean, you can like we talked about with law of correspondence, you can know the fruits, and it's it's not difficult to understand that the path we're going down is it going closer to God. It's, it's drifting further. So, yeah, super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you guys for coming on the podcast, of course. It's Thanks for having me. It yeah. was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can do it again at some time and mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you all for watching and listening. Hopefully you got specifically something. Specifically watching. Yeah, not reading. Please read. Yeah. <laughs> please watch it. Yeah. <laughs> please watch it. Don't turn on uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you. Hopefully we can. you got something out of it. We can do this more often. So appreciate it. And I'll see you guys later. Peace out. <laughs> That was awesome. Oh, I had to take my jeans off. Was was Toby was Toby in frame? Probably. Probably. Sitting over there. <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Here, 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 here. I'll-